Welcome, everyone. I want to start by telling you why this podcast even exists. Here's the thing. If you get out of bed in the morning, you are impacting someone with your life. We are telling a story, and every day is like one chapter in that story. The time will come when there are no more chapters to write, and the people we care about and the people that come after us will simply be reading our book. I don't know about you, but I am not that great of a storyteller, so I have to find an outline to follow. The most amazing outline that I have found is the one that Jesus gave us with his life. This podcast is about talking to people using that outline to write their own amazing stories. Welcome to the Jesus Taught Me That podcast. Today, we are talking to Tom Caresti, former CEO, author, and founder of Leadership Disciples. He's also a leadership coach that helps people apply servant leadership principles from a biblical foundation. If you're just joining us, our podcast is produced by Be Fun, Be Kind Podcasts. If you yourself want to explore podcasting, check out BeFunBeKind.com to learn how to create impactful conversation through podcasting. That's also where you can learn more about our mission and even partner with us on our journey. You can find us at BeFunBeKind.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. We would also love it if you would share this podcast with someone you know. Let's get started. Tom, welcome. One thing that I really enjoy learning about people is just what makes them them and how you got to where you are. And I believe a lot of that for you is based upon a biblical foundation. And so I want to dive a little bit deeper into how that has influenced you in very specific ways. And really want to understand how you think about that in terms of leadership. So, look, the great thing about biblical foundation is what I call absolute truths. So biblical scripture is what I refer to as absolute truth. So there's no gray area in, in the Bible. As opposed to today's society, everything becomes gray. And everybody, but it, it's, the truth is in, in the you know, eyes of the beholder. So if I think it's true, and it's my truth, which may be different than your truth, then we, we have a, a debate about what is true. It's, it doesn't have that common ground that we need to say, okay, this is right, and this is wrong. And that's defined in the Bible, right? So, for example... In, in businesses, we can say, I'm not really dishonest. I'm just cheating a little bit. I'm just leaving some facts out. I'm not really giving all the truth about this particular product to my customers, right? Or I'm misleading the customers a little bit about what my product will do. Right? So I'm lying to the customers. If you go by biblical truths, there's a lot of scripture that basically says about dishonest scales, for example. There's a lot of biblical truth about not lying, but having integrity and doing what you would say. A lot of stuff in Proverbs that you can read. It guides your behavior. It guides your characteristics if you believe in absolute truth. And what I would say to you is if you have two different companies and they both sell an identical product and they both manufacture the identical product, and one company is run by biblical principles and the other one's not, the one that's run by biblical principles will always be a lot more successful. 
right? Because again, you talk about a certain leadership, that company that is run by biblical principles is not going to try to cheat their customer. We, when I was working for Colgate Palmolive, that was one of my first jobs and they were famous for this. They would launch this super fantastic product and it was like flying off the shelf. And then somebody would come and they say, okay, let's do a cost savings analysis. Now, if only you take about 2% of the active ingredients in this product, would the consumer notice? They run a test and say, oh, consumer didn't notice. So let's take two out. We make more profit and keep selling a product. And then six months later, somebody else would come around and say, let's do another case study and let's see if we could take another 2% out. So they would do this. And then after about two, two and a half years, the product stopped selling. And everybody is surprised. Why the hell does it stop selling? Because it doesn't work anymore. You took out all the active ingredients in it. But if, if you basically say, look, I'm going to run my business by biblical principles, and, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat the customer. I, I still have a healthy profit. Let's not get greedy. And let's just give to the customer what we promised them. So, you know, let, let's not try to shortchange him. Let's not try to over-gouge him. Let's not try to rip him. What a novel idea. Just treat the customer right with some, some benefits. And, and that's biblical again. It's, it's an absolute truth. Now, a lot of customers do, uh, I mean, so a lot of companies do that. Right? So there are a lot of honest companies that don't cheat the customers. And that's what I'm saying by if one is run by biblical principles, it's always going to be more successful. They may not realize that they're running their business on biblical principles. They, they may just think uh, it makes common good sense. But the fact is those common good sense ideas are based on biblical foundations. I think that is an amazing point. And one thing that I do think that I can pull out of that is that even if we're not choosing a certain type of leadership, we still are, right? The definition of not choosing something, we're, we're still choosing to do the opposite of that. I think it makes a lot of sense to look at a model that has been proven, a model that has gone before you and has impacted people in a very positive way that you want to pattern after? If, if I may refer back to the book, I talk about those four keys to leadership success. And w when I wrote the book, what gave me the inspiration was I looked at all my, my life as a successful leader and I said, okay, when I was failing in life or if a company that was leading wasn't doing well, were those four keys all there or was something missing? Uh, and what I came to the conclusion is every time I was failing or a company was not doing well, one of those keys or, multi, or more than one of those keys wasn't firing. Right? It wasn't there. And then I said, okay, well, let me take a look at the times that I was successful and the times that I turned companies around and the companies were doing well. Were those four keys evident? And the answer was yes. So then I said, okay, let me look at some other folks. Maybe it's just me. So let me look at some other companies, some other folks, and and do that analogy still hold the water? And it did. So that gave me the inspiration to, to write the book and made it fun to put all these personal <laughs> stories in there to, to, to make it an enjoyable read. But those four key principles are, are, are all biblically based. And those four keys, so for example, if you take something like vision is extremely important to a company. And so, I don't know, Simon Sinek says it, says it a little bit differently. It's, uh, he calls it, what is their why? Right? So they, they have a why. And one example he uses is Kodak. You know, Simon says they lost their why, which means they lost their vision. And th they had a great vision when they first started. And then through generations of different management, they veered off that vision and they started chasing the shiny little object. 
And when companies start chasing the shiny little object, which is the latest trend, our competitors doing it, so we have to do it too. Or the other famous one is, can we afford not to do that? A lot of times you hear that. But, but if you trace true to yourself and you trace, stay true to that vision and, and you don't veer off that, because look, vision doesn't change every five years. Uh, vision is a long-term commitment. I'll just just for companies, so for business sake, I'll, I'll I'll just share a couple of them. One is I love is Coca-Cola, right? Now Coca-Cola, before internet, when you just had their paper annual report, what you found is their vision statement, or sometimes they call a mission statement a vision statement, but to me it's the same thing. But it says we refresh the world. If you could go to Coca-Cola's website, you still see we refresh the world. It's so simple. Right, so it's about refreshment. So whatever product they are doing, it's it's a refreshing product, and it has global distribution implications. So we refresh the world. So when you know Bezos and you know Elon Musk colonize Mars, Coca Cola is going to be up there. I can guarantee you, right? Because that's going to be the new definition of a world. And now, if you're starting to look at Coca Cola, they're starting to lose their way a little bit because. They're starting to enter into products which are non-refreshing. They're also starting to have business decisions influenced by you know social social impact of what they think is right socially or wrong socially. So now they're influencing their business decisions on what they hear socially, what they you know deem socially acceptable or not acceptable. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. They're impacting their business decision making not on their vision but other factors, and that is dangerous for any company. So. If you have a clear vision, stick to it. That's a long-term roadmap of how you run your company. And look, your strategic plan should be always a growth strategic plan. That may change every three, four, five years. In fact, the way large companies plan is you have a three-year strategic plan, and the first year of that strategic plan becomes your budget for next year. And then when next year comes around, you look at that three-year plan again and say, okay, how do I adjust it? What's my next year's budget? And and that's pretty much how the cookie, you know, crumbles in a large organization when you're doing your, your planning and budgeting cycle. But you don't look at your vision statement every two or three years to say, oh, I think I want to change it. That vision statement doesn't make sense anymore. If you're doing that, then, you know, you're doomed to failure. That's one of the really important things that, that I think, again, are biblically founded when you look at a vision statement. Jesus had a very simple vision statement, believe in one God, and he's the gateway to that God. Because he's the son of God. It's a pretty simple concept. And it's a pretty simple vision. And here we are, 2,200 years you know, later, still following that same vision. It hasn't changed. We believe in the same God. We believe in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and, and the Father. So the vision hasn't changed. It, if it did, if it changed every 100 years or 200 years, I can tell you Christianity wouldn't be here. What I think is really neat, regardless of what you believe, when you look at the message that Jesus put out, Man, what an amazing marketing tactic. It's wild, right? This is something that took place without Twitter, without Facebook, without telephones, without TV. Just spread like crazy. And from a marketing standpoint, that is just a really profound thing to happen. And I think there are maybe other examples that we could look at, but I think it's hard to find something that has happened to that same capacity. I'll even take it a step further for you. If you use that marketing analogy, he was the first quote-unquote door-to-door salesman with a sampling technique. So if, if you basically think about Jesus, right, how did he get his, his business plan off the ground? So he came out with a vision statement. And then the other thing he came out was he didn't start and spent a lot of money on advertising. 
you know, uh, Sermon on the Mount came pretty late in, in his career where he actually had a mass that he was preaching to. His first acts were all miracles, and I would call that sampling. Jesus was sampling door to door and said, okay, I'm going to, here's a sample, I'm going to heal the lame. And here's a sample, I'm going to cure the blind. And here's a sample, I'm going to raise the dead. And here's a sample, the first sample was, I'm going to turn water into wine. So he was sampling to get people to believe in his product, quote unquote, his product, which was, he's the son of God and he's the gateway to the father. And, and he did that through sampling to get people to believe and to, to buy into him. If you're starting off a small you know, startup company, get yourself a strong vision and start with sales. Nothing happens until you start selling and sampling. So his sale was conversion. He converted believers. And how did he convert believers? He sampled them, right? One-on-one, like a door-to-door salesman. So that's a simplification, but there's a lot of parallels between how you start a business and how Jesus started his ministry. Talk about biblical foundations, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And he was able to scale it. So if we're translating this to a business, really understand that mantra, really understand the vision, really understand where we're going. He allowed a few people to really understand that so deeply. And then they went out in turn, helped other people to understand that so deeply. And then they in turn went out and helped other people to understand that so deeply. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then I'll just go a little bit further down this rabbit sure, hole here. The, the other thing I talk about in the book is every organization has a great culture, right? It's a unique culture. It's a, and there's no such thing as a right or wrong culture, but there is just a culture. And an organization that doesn't pay attention and lets culture develop on its own without paying attention to it and without being conscious about it can get itself into trouble real quickly. But so, so again, if you look at Jesus, if you look at Jesus and his 12 disciples, they had a culture of love, right? If you sum up one culture for that, it's love. Love your neighbor, love God, love each other. So it was all about love. And, and every time somebody stepped out of line of that, Jesus corrected them and scrounged them. So he says, okay, that's really not representative of, of what we're about, which is the love culture. So that, that's another one where organizations have to have a very clearly defined culture that's just simple enough for people to understand that they can buy into. And, and then there's no dissension from the culture. You can, hey, Peter, I, I know you want to chop that guy's ear off. That's not love. So, you know, that's not us. Don't do that. That's not us. You're arguing about who's going to be the, the best of you, right? Whoever is the least, whoever treats the kids, the children, like first, and I'm, you know, paraphrasing here on, on scripture, but that's going to be the first. So it, again, servant, servant leadership. So it was all part of that culture, and they all had to live it. Otherwise, JC would say, you're right in line, man. That's not us. Right? So get in line and, and live our culture. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So many amazing lessons to be learned there. Tom, something that I do want to make sure that we talk about in this episode is something that I noticed in your book that I think is really powerful. You gave an example in your book of something very small that you did. I think you were in another country and someone messaged you on Facebook and just told you how much you had impacted them in your message that you were giving out. And I think that we overlook that so easily today. I think that so many people are forgetting that everything that we do is being seen, it's being watched by someone, it's impacting someone in one way or another, positively or negatively. And I think that also so many people are focused on doing something that is seen by the world rather than realizing 
how much of an impact focusing on one person can have and how much of that can change that person's world. Look, the, the first thing you have to be is, is, again, answer the question of knowing who you are. And, and knowing who you are doesn't mean what you do for a living. It doesn't mean what the color of your skin is, what your gender is. It's knowing what you're about, knowing what your why is, and being consistent, doing what you actually say, and be very consistent. Because in, in that particular case, it, that incident played out over probably about a two or three year period of time. And if I was inconsistent with my message, whether it was my words or my actions, that person would have said, this guy's all over the place. So what is he really actually all about? Just for the, the benefit of your audience, what happened here was when Facebook became popular, I was general manager in, in Prague back in, I think, 1996 or something. And about 2006 is, I think, when Facebook started becoming relevant. So maybe it was a good 10 years later or, or even that, or maybe more than that. And at that time, it was very you know, popular for people to names would pop up and searching for old, you know, classmates and whatever and reaching out and making that connection. So one day I get this, you know, message and said, are you the Tom Caresti that used to live in Prague? So look, there's not a lot of Carestis in the world, right? Especially ones that lived in Prague. So I, I answered to her, I said, yes, I am, but I do apologize. I don't know who you are, so I can help you. So she, she said, I just want to thank you for changing my life. That was the message. So Kathy, my wife, looked at it. She goes, yeah, that's a girl that was part of my oldest daughter. She was part of their youth group. And Kathy and I were very much involved with the youth group with the kids and spent a lot of time with them. I didn't even remember this young lady. And obviously, she was much younger. Probably, she was probably about 14 or 16 at the time. Um, and I don't know what I did. I don't know what I said. But I think it was a collection of my actions over a period of two, two and a half years while we're working with the youth group that changed her life and made her accept, you know, Christ and, and become a Christian. So people are always watching you. People at work are watching you. People in your social circle are watching you. Everybody's always watching you. And if you're consistent and you're delivering a consistent message between your words and your actions, uh, people will buy into you. And when they buy into you, then you've got something. Another story, I had a, a good friend, Dave, and he and I met riding Harleys together. We used to ride all the you know, California roads at Harley Davidson's and Dave was dating Linda at the time. And it was probably about a year after Dave and I got to know each other and went out on rides about just every other weekend and stuff. And so we went out to dinner with Linda and Kathy and me and Dave. And Linda said to me, she says, I, I just want to thank you. I said, for what? She goes, you know, since Dave started hanging out with you, he's become a very different guy. So again, I didn't preach to Dave. I didn't do anything. I was just hanging out together and people observe what you do. And they either buy into it or they don't buy into it. You know? And if they buy into it, then you know you, you can start influencing in them in, in, in what you think is right. Those are both really good stories. And I have witnessed something relatively similar to, to your first story I've seen play out in, in something that I have personally seen. And it's amazing when you see that happen and when you realize that this was an experience that, that you didn't realize the impact that it had on someone. It was just a normal interaction for you, and you dismissed and you went on with your life. But that one moment completely changed, apparently, this other individual's life. And when you see that and when you've witnessed something like that, I think it can really change your perspective on some of the actions and, and how you want to live your life going forward. And to your point, remaining consistent. <laughs> I think that is a huge one. 
Tom, I have enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on and just departing some of your wisdom. I do want to encourage everyone, go check out the book. It's C-Suite and Beyond, The Four Keys to Leadership Success. I believe you said you can find that on Amazon or I guess anywhere that sells books. And it's probably referenced on your website as well, leadershipdisciples.com. I hope if I said something that made sense to somebody in your audience and they just got one or two nuggets, then it's been a blessing for me and it's been a blessing for you. Thanks for joining us as we explore more about who Jesus is. So much in our society has been influenced by his life in some way. Something I think about is that if I wanted to be the best painter I could possibly be, I would probably find the best painter in history to pattern after, maybe Leonardo da Vinci. If I wanted to create a really cool computer company, I would probably follow Steve Jobs. Plus, I don't know, apples are my favorite fruit, so that sort of makes sense. If I wanted to live the best life I possibly could, not just a good life, not even just a great life, but the best life, I would try to find someone who lived life perfectly. The only person I know of who has done that is Jesus. If you heard something today you're curious about, you have questions on, or you simply want to learn how to apply the message that Jesus gave us to your own life, I invite you to reach out. You can contact us just by going to our page at befundbecon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. I'll see you on the next episode.